0: It's the way you live your life. It's the way you do things. And the way this person brought it out made me really get to thinking about that. How do I respond? So I know I've said before in sermons, again I'll say this sermon is for Nelson. If you get something out of it, that's great. But I have a lot that I have to learn and lean on. And I can't change your life. I had a young person tell me not too long ago, I'd like to come out there, but I'm not going to come out there to Anatos and be converted. And I said, well, I'm not going to try to convert you. Daryl's not going to try to convert you. I don't think Gordon or Terry will try to convert you, because the only person that can convert you is God and you. Your own self. So I can say then, this sermon is for me because I've got things to change. So, we find that we're here to let God lead us and change us and show us things. I was watching a little bit on the uh, Weather Channel. They have this group of people that are here in Colorado, in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, they, they... their life online every day for treasure. They're looking for emeralds and rubies and sapphires and all these things and their life is really in danger from lightning, from storms, uh, freezing weather, rocks falling on them. But they are out there because to them that's the most important thing for them to come up with this rock, a jewel, a big size worth millions of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars whatever but Christ tells us in Matthew 6:21 says for where your treasure is there will your heart be so where is our treasure are we seeking for treasure or are we a one a day christian Are we a Christian for an hour or two hours, or like I thought years ago, a tithe? I I should tithe my time to God. And after reading that little article this morning, I thought, it's not just tithing my time. This is a way of life. I have to put my whole heart into this. I've got to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I have to sit down and analyze my life and say, am I doing that? Am I putting seven days a week in? As I've been going through the scriptures, I've noticed that each of my life, everything in this book tells me how to live a life like Christ. I pointed out to Darrell, I thought, you know, I didn't think about it until I was going through the book of Judges. And um, why? I asked myself, why the book of Judges? Why the book of Genesis? Why Matthew? Why Mark? Why Isaiah? Why the minor prophets? What purpose is it? And so, Daryl pointed out, we've been going through those things. Right now, we've been going through... Since the feast, the book of Deuteronomy. And it has great meaning on Christian living, on becoming a born again child of God. Not physical flesh, but born spiritually. And so I go back to the, the young person who said, I don't want to be converted. Uh, I want to be converted. But I want to be converted to God's way. And I can't change that unless I make some changes in my own life. I have to be the one to be converting myself. And so I can read in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, and you should go back maybe and read these things. But 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 I'm going to read a little bit of it because you know the Scriptures. It says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Do we understand that? Everything in this book was inspired by God. Now, you and I don't sit out here and have God speak to us and, you know, shake us up and say, Nelson, this is what you've got to do today. But he uses people. He uses inspired people. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Says, know this first: that no prophecy, no part of this Bible, no prophecy of the Scriptures, the Bible, is of any private interpretation. So, you hear a sermon; doesn't mean that that person is giving his private interpretation of it. God inspires the speaking. I can tell you as a fact, when I speak, I say things and I go home and think, where did that come from? Things I need to change. So I can say, Scripture's for me because when I read these things, it's for me. So it's no private interpretation, verse 21. And the prophecy came not of old time by the will of men. So it's not some man who decided someplace down the line, I'm going to write a book. Like so many do today. We've got mountains and mountains of books written. And a lot of that's written because somebody came up with an idea and wrote a book. But the Scriptures, for the prophecies came not by the will of men, but, notice, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So when we hear a sermon... And and it goes through a book. And if that man, if we recognize that he is a person being motivated and directed by God's Spirit, then we need to listen. But I know, I've been there, done that. I to sit back in services and uh, get a word and think, that guy's speaking at me. He picked me out of everybody. He's pointing his finger at me. No. He points that finger at everybody. But yes, when I hear it, he's pointing it at me. Because I take it that God is motivating the speaker. God put them there for a purpose. And what my job then is to start figuring out what i got to do to look like Christ. So I did a number of sermons, what, three or four, on the mirror of... Of life, that mirror is his Bible. That mirror is when God inspires somebody to tell me, and I'm taking this personally, that I got to change. They're not picking on me just because they don't like me or they. I've said something, or no? I think God and personally feel that God motivates the sermons and sermonettes that we we had, and God motivates everything in here. If If I'm willing to look into it. Because we can read, it's not Daryl or Gordon or Terry or me, that's changing your life. Because Philippians, Paul inspired Paul to write in Philippians 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not somebody else's. Oh, it's easy to look out there and say, well, you're doing this thing, and this is what you ought to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to convert you to my way of life. No. Can't do that. Because God inspired Paul to say you as a person and put your name in there. So I can read that. Nelson, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do I tremble at God's Word? Isaiah 66 says that God owns everything. So when I think these people are out here gathering all these stones, I'm thinking, uh, that belong to God. Christ created it. We know that Christ created it. We can read in John 1, it says Christ was the Word. He created everything. Everything was created for Him and by Him. And that Word became Christ, who we now call Emmanuel. We can call Him Emmanuel if You know, we allow Christ to dwell in us. If we don't allow Christ to dwell in us, then we have it difficult to say, Christ with me, Emmanuel, Christ is with me. Am I with him? So I have to think of these things myself. And we find it down here, he says, how do you know Christ is with you? The last part of verse 2. But to this man, and I read that and I say, "To, to you, Nelson... Will I look even to you that is poor and have contrite spirit and trembles at my word? Do I really tremble at God's word? When we hear a sermon, a sermonette, we read the scriptures, do we take it personally? Because we can't convert another person. We just can't do that. So, as a prelude into the Sermon because I'm going to pick one book, one small book of the Bible, to bring out, I believe it's five points of daily life, something that I can do, where I can change my life to be one who trembles at God's Word, one who fears God. A contrite spirit is one that's so desiring to follow Christ. That's the important part. And I picked this book because a month, I think, ago, i seen a little part on the, uh, I think it was Facebook. A real young girl, three to four years old, brought this book out and did a fantastic job about it. And I didn't think about it, so I started going through and seeing, what can I pick out of this book, this story? And and it's been covered by Daryl in the Minor Prophets, so we're in the Minor Prophets. But what can I pick out, what points can I pull out of this book that will fit my life, that will change me to be more like Christ? That book is the book of Jonah. So if you turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And we'll go to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, a city against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So the first point I want to bring out is that God makes assignments. He's given me a job. Do I, do I take the time to see, did God assign me a job? Do I have something particular in my life that I have to do for Him? Because this is what Jonah had. God said to Jonah, you've got to go and do this job. So, do, do I look at that? Do I find that God's giving me a job. In Matthew 25, it gives the uh, parable of the talents. So, sometimes I, I read the parable of talents and say, God gave five, gave four, gave three, gave one. You see, God looks into your personal life. He knows how much you can do. Maybe you don't know how much you can do. Sometimes I get that way. I don't realize and that I have limitations, but I want to do more. So the one with five talents doubled his talents because he put everything into what he had to do. The person with one talent got the thinking, Oh, God doesn't love me because he only gave me one. And this other person's got all these jobs, you know. He can do all these things, or she can do all this. And I can do that much too. But really, you can't. God knows how much you can do. So God makes the assignments. We don't choose these jobs for ourselves when we're doing God's bidding. He knows what you can do. King Saul was a bad example. God gave him a job made him king of the, of the whole nation of Israel. He got the big hit. I can do it more. I can do it better. I can do it my way, better way. So in 1 uh, Samuel 15, God gave Saul a specific assignment for him to learn, for me to learn. And that assignment was to go out and take out this whole nation, kill every man, woman, and child, all the animals, don't bring anything back. He failed his assignment because he didn't want to do it. And he brought back, he allowed the people, and he backtrayed, he blamed somebody else because he didn't do his job. He blamed other people. But God made the assignment, not Elijah. Not Samuel, not Daryl, not Gordon. God makes these assignments. And Saul did not keep his assignment. And Samuel had to tell him, you failed. And because you failed, I'm taking away the opportunity for your family to be rulers everywhere. From now on, you will be, the kingship would be through your line. So, uh, Saul, king, failed that job. Take Israel, coming out of Egypt. Why did Moses lead them? Because God gave him that assignment. And he, like Jonah, was assigned to do a specific job. And he had to go and do that job. So the first principle I get out of Jonah (laughs) in that first two verses, it's God that makes the assignments. God knows what you can do. He knows your ins and your outs. He knows how willing you are. And He knows how to straighten your life out when you don't do what God says. So we come to the second lesson. Go to verse 3. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. Jonah arose up to flee to Tarshish. Jonah was given a job and he said, Hey, I ain't going to do it. He justified his actions to the fact that, Hey, these people are going to take and destroy us somewhere down the line. So Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go therein to Tarshish to flee from the presence of God. Sometimes we're given an assignment. And God makes those assignments, but do we try to hide from God on a daily basis? Now, we've been told many things up here, We've been told just even last week and the week before of how God expects us to treat our body because our body is the temple of His Spirit. And yet we try to sneak around that because, you know, they're ain't going to see me if I drink five Cokes today and if I go out there and play some kind of a game that's, that's satanical. Or I watch satanical movies or things. So, Daryl won't see me. But it's not Daryl. Are we trying to hide from God who sees everything? His eyes are everywhere, He knows every thought in your mind. So, are we trying, like Jonah, to get away from the assignment? Jonah knew those people were prophesied to defeat Israel. And so he didn't want to take and give them any chance. God says, I'm going to destroy those people. Let them destroy it. Let them have at it. So he tried to see what he could do. In Proverbs 15, verse 3, we find where it says, Proverbs 15:3." The eyes of the eternal are on every place beholding the evil and the good. So God sees it all. God knew where Jonah was. In the Garden of Eden, God came and said, Adam, where are you? What was Adam doing? Hiding from God. I thought he would hide from God. Because he did something wrong, he knew he shouldn't do, and God caught him in it. You know, I can think of my children. I had eight children. I've seen them do things, and they try to hide from mom and dad things they've done. And sometimes they think mom and dad have eyes in the back of their heads, because you see everything. Well, father, the father sees those things too. So here we are trying to get away from God. We, we're we we're told these things. It's not that we're trying to convert somebody. No, we try not to follow because uh, the man will see us. We forget that God sees everything. God knows all of our thoughts. Jeremiah twenty-three, verse twenty-three. God says, Jeremiah twenty-three, twenty. Am I a God at hand? Says the Eternal. And not a God far off? In other words, am I only a God here, but when I'm, you're someplace else, I'm not God? Is that the way we see it? God's only here in services or when we're with some of His people. Can any hide himself in a secret place that I shall not see him, says the Eternal? Do not I will heaven and earth? Am I not everywhere? Do I not see it all? God is every place. So, why is it that when we're given an assignment, we think we don't have to do it? We're given an assignment to, to change our life, to look like Christ, but we... Do something else. Because God's not here today. Remember what Elijah did? He said to the people, let's let's halt between two opinions. Either we believe God or we believe Balaam or any of these other gods that's out there. So, let's try it and see. And when they tried to light a fire, all these priests of Baal... Try to light this fire; it couldn't be lit, lit, lit. Lit. It couldn't light it. Okay, they could have poured gasoline on it; it wouldn't burn. God would kept that from happening. And so, as they progressed through the day, He kept saying, chiding them, "Well, where is God? Maybe He's gone off someplace." See, Elijah knew where God was. He knew God was there. He knew God is everywhere. God listens. So why is it that we sometimes have an assignment and try, like Saul, to get out of that assignment by doing something different? We think God won't see it. Saul lost a lot. And we are facing this thing of life and death. Not physical life, eternal life. If we miss the mark, where do we stand? Are we going to stand in that hot place that burns till there's nothing left? Or are we going to stand with Christ? So that second point then, is we can't hide from God. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He does everything. Let's go to, back to Jonah. I I didn't write the scripture out, so I have to. Uh, and here we're going to go to uh, chapter two. Chapter two, verse one. Jonah. We find back in chapter one where Jonah was trying to hide from God and. What God did to Jonah was, you want to hide from me, I'll help you out. He created a fish. Had the people, He told the people, throw me overboard because uh, I don't want to do the job God has for me. So if you throw me overboard, I'll die and I won't have to do that job. But God was a little bit ahead. You know, he's always ahead of us. And he created this fish and put Jonah in it. So he said, Jonah, you want to hide? Let me see how good you can hide. Took him to the bottom of the ocean. If it was the trench out there in the Pacific, it's seven miles down. But you see, God is everywhere. You can be up in the sky. You can be out there on Mars if you could get there. Or you could be under the water or under the ocean or wherever. God's already there. He knows these things. And so we find here Jonas now in this belly of this fish. What's keeping him alive is God. Because we know we can't live without oxygen. It's impossible. More than maybe three minutes by few people that have been able to control their, their body, they can keep maybe three minutes of oxygen. But sooner or later, you run out of oxygen. And he was there for three days. In three nights. And there's not a lot of oxygen down in the bottom of the ocean, is there? A lot of pressure. So here we find Jonah now, bottom of the ocean, inside this fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Eternal out of the fish's belly. And said, I cry by reason of mine affliction unto the Eternal. And he heard me. Out of the belly of, the, uh, of hell cried I, and through hardness of my voice, earnestness of my voice. So here, shows. God knows where you are. Even if you're hiding and God says, you're really hid now. I mean, you're really hid. But when you look for God, He will hear you. He will hear what you have to say. So that third point then, that I picked out of that, no matter what trial, what predicament I find myself in, if I seek God with my whole heart, if I cry out to Him in distress, like David so many times did, He hears. Because He knows who you are. You've been hand-picked. So God knows who you are. Handpicked for a position that He has for you. We don't always know what it is, but you've been handpicked. So, here you are, in great distress. Jonah is really in distress. You know, we have to figure uh, two, three, four, five miles down underneath the water, in the belly of a fish. And Jonah realized... I need God. And he cried out to God. Verse 3, For you have cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, in the floods compassed me about, all the bellows and the waves passed over me. Should have drowned. Should have died. He's really in distress. Sometimes God puts us in distress Because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And when we try to hide from him, he's going to change situations. He wants you to turn around. He wants you. He's got a place, a position. He's got a job for you to do. I know we've talked about this little group of being a setup crew. Set-up crew for what? For those that he's going to bring in the future? Are we doing our part of that setup crew? Maybe it's only to be one who can pray and and seek God's help and set the right example in daily life all day. As that article I read this morning stated, it is a a 24-hour a day, seven days a week deal. It's not just part time; it's all the time. It's everything you do. And so here, Jonah tried to get out. He tried to hide. God said, I'll hide you, all right? But he points out that point that if we will seek him with our whole heart, our whole mind, he will answer. He's there for you. Psalm 50, verse 15. Psalm 50, verse 15 and call upon me in the day of trouble. God tells you, in the day of distress, call upon him, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So God's going to deliver you. He's aware of who you are. He puts these things to us sometimes for us to make the change. He wants us to change. That when we change, We bring glory to the Father. So it's important for us to make the change in our life. uh, Chapter 91, verse 15. He shall call upon me, and I will answer, God says. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God has a position. Maybe it is prayer. Maybe it's just to walk your daily life. Maybe it's to learn how to be a family. Maybe that's the setup. That when he brings the, the multitudes, which could be any number, of those individuals that he knows where they are, whatever organization they're in, God knows who they are, and when he brings them together, maybe it's for us to show this is godly love, this group who loves each other, helps each other in our daily life. Do we follow that? Are we hiding from God or are we calling out to Him in repentance and change? Then, verse 4, Then I said... I am cast out of your sight, and yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He come to the point, Jonah did in his life, to see he needed Christ. He needed the Father. He needs help. A daily life is struggle. Sometimes it's really hard. And I look at myself and say, do I find myself in those troubles, or do I try to solve all the problems myself? It's something to think about. That's why I said, "Put your name in this." You have to put your name where it says, "Seek out salvation." You, as a individual, have to work that out. Not have another person work it out for you. It goes on in verse five. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth covered round about me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottom of the the mountain. The earth, with her bars, was about me forever. And yet, have you brought me up? My life from the uh, corruption eternal. So God solved this problem. He already knew the problem. I can imagine why Jonah didn't want to go into Nineveh. I can imagine why he didn't want the enemy to be alive and strong that would come down upon him. But I have to rely on God for everything. So point three was... God will hear you if you repent. And repentance is a big factor in our life. The next point then of the five I picked is salvation is of God. Not me. Not the ministry. Not somebody else. Salvation is from God. So Jonah was told in chapter 3, verse 1, go back, do the job you have. Chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it, preaching that I bid you, Go do the job you were given to do. I find that in in our life as a person, God gives us a job. And if it's important to God, you're going to do it. It was important that Moses went back to Egypt to bring the people out. But he tried to get out of it too, remember? He said, well, I, I, I can't speak very good. I don't know Egyptian and I don't know Hebrew very good. So he tried to get out of it. And God said, you're going to do it anyway. I'll send your brother. I'll tell you, you tell your brother, and he can tell the king. But you're still going to do the job. The same way with Jonah. If God gives us a job to do, and it's important to him, we're going to do it. Now, we might have to tough out some pretty tough situations I can't feature being wrapped up in seaweed and smelling like dead fish. I've been there. When I first went into electronics, I had to go down and change transducers in the bottom of shrimp boats. And it is pretty smelly. So I don't want to find myself in that position that Jonah had to find himself. Or the position that others found themselves when they refused to do a job that God gave them to do. God says you still have to do that job. Verse 2, chapter 3. Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. And Jonah rose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was exceedingly great three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." Can you imagine that maybe there's some more said there? Maybe they understood something else. Maybe they understood and remembered Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe maybe this was still on their mind. What happened to there? Totally obliterated. And I can see. Someone going into a town, Houston, Dallas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. The two witnesses going in and saying, either you change, either you turn around and go to God, or you're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's not going to be anything left. Now, that would be pretty scary if you remembered those things. And yet... Here, Jonah had to preach 40 days, and you're not going to exist. It has to be pretty much saying, you know, maybe there's going to be a meteorite come down and wipe you off the map. Maybe a hurricane or a typhoon, such as happened over in uh, the Japanese town Yokohama, that totally wiped the people out. What if Jonah? Hey, Jonah, maybe you had to go into a town like that and saying, either you change and repent, or you're not going to exist. Would they believe it? Not if you just went there and said, you got to change and exist. Well, who are you? Who, who Who do you think you are? When the two witnesses go in, and it begins to get to the point that they can understand these people, these two men, backed up by... The the, uh, tithe that God keeps on the people goes into an area and they've seen this happen and now again it's coming in. They come in there and say, either you change or you're not going to exist. Something's going to change. They're going to hate those people. And I think Jonah probably was worried that he was going to be hated. But that's not the case every time. Because Jonah had a job, and he went in there and told the people, 40 days, and you're not going to exist. And so the people of Nineveh believed God. Do we believe God? When God tells each one of us, judgment today is on the church. Your fate of your future, whether you live eternally, or die eternally. I mean, this is what comes to us. Do you believe God? Is it that fixed in my mind? I have to say, Nelson, do you really realize that God is saying that either you change today or you're not going to be existing? This is all you'll ever have. The people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and was gathered from the greatest of them even to the least. So it didn't make any difference what position they had, whether they were ten talents or five talents or one talent. They all believed. And they made a change in their life. They turned their life around so that they could honor God they had to have something told to them so pointed that if you don't make the change you're not going to exist so Jonah had a lot more to say than what we're given there but it had to be enough for them to want to change and because they changed God didn't kill them God didn't take them out. So that third point, I mean fourth point rather, the fourth point is salvation comes from God. Not from people. Not from a man. But it comes right from God. Are we willing to make those changes? Are we willing to turn around? The fifth point. God forgives. God's willing to forgive each and every individual. It's a personal time. It's what you do. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. For God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God repented of his evil that he had said that he would do to them. And he didn't. He didn't do it. He didn't wipe them out. In Psalm 136, through the whole psalm, emphasizes one basic factor. God's mercy endures forever. A person who changes his life and turns his life around, God will show him mercy. In Luke 11.32, Luke 11:32 says the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for they repented of their preaching of the preaching of Jonah and behold a greater than Jonah is here Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to change? God says if we do he will take care of us. He will Protect us and guide us. There's a lot in the Scriptures. I think every time we pick up the Bible, if we just ask ourselves a question, what's in it? What's in this book for me? What is my life like? Do I look like Christ? Matthew 25 tells us the way we treat each other is the way we treat God. So we want to be like Christ. Do we treat each other like Christ would be treated? It's something to think about. Do we sit back and say to ourselves, Self, where do I stand in relationship to Christ? Can I go to the book of Jonah and pick out points? that I can live by that will honor God? Can I go to the book of Jeremiah and say, hey, there's things I know it's a big book. And there's a lot in it. Same way with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and all the writings of Paul. James, Peter, John, Luke, I mean uh, Jude and the book of Revelation. Can I take each book... Open it up and start with, what's here that I'm missing that will help me look like Christ? Yes, I found five points for me. Maybe it'll help you. Five points that I can change and look like Christ. So can I stand there and say, where do I stand, Christ, with you? In Jeremiah seventeen ten, Christ tells us, I, the Lord, search the heart. I look at you as an individual. I single you out. So he a, He singled each one of us, and we're only here, or we're only in the church, whatever group we're in. You know, and it might be in another group someplace. But I put you there. He put us here. He split the church up because we became so lackadaisical, we became so far out from serving God and looking to see where we stood with God that he broke the church apart and scattered it everywhere. And now he's saying to us, where do you stand with me? He says, I search the heart. I try the reins. Even to give every person, and put my name there, according to my ways. So he says, I look at you as an individual. And I'm going to give you of what you do, of your commitment, of your love, of your willingness to follow, your willingness to repent, to seek my help, not hide from me. No, it's easy to hide from God. We think no because we place God in that position of a of a minister. See. He's a guy we're with all the time. He sees me. But we don't sit always to that point to think, God is there. When I walk out of the door, when I wake up in the morning, that's why he sold the Israelites, he said, you teach my ways to your family when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you play, when you eat, when you go to bed at night. It has to be 24-7. It's not just today, being here at Sabbath services. It's not just an hour, I get up in the morning and say, well, I think I'll give God some time this morning. No, it's God's time always. He knows where you are, whether you're riding in a car or in the belly of a fish. See, it's still, God knows where you are. He understands who you are. You can't hide from Him. So, according to your fruit of your doings is what God will give to you. So, my five points i picked for me. Maybe you have different ones that you can research from the book of Jonah, or Zechariah, or Malachi, or whatever book it is. Maybe there's some points that you can pick out and say, this is things I can change. So that first point was God gives me an assignment. God put me here, said you're going to do this, you have that as an assignment. You can't hide from me. Don't try to hide from me. I gave you a job to do. So do I, every day I get up and I do something and I'm thinking to myself, am I hiding from God Something? When I see that I've made a mistake, when I see I've slipped, when I see I've come short of a mark, do I repent and turn to God? Because I understand He's willing and ready to hear me if I'm in a hole, searching for something a mile in the ground, and I'm caught, and i hurt. I have to understand, if I say, Father, help me, He will hear me if I change my ways. And then to come to understand it, salvation is only from God. I have to work out my salvation by putting my whole heart into it, but it only comes from God. It has to come from God. It has to be my Father. And then the last point. So, has to be so burned into my mind is that God is a merciful God. He will forgive. His mercy endures forever.